Welcome to the Geek Teak Podcast, where we are not being remade. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beej. I'm perfect like I am. You are, yes. We all love you like you are. Uh, today, we want to talk a little bit about Final Fantasy VII Remake spoilers. Right. So, we've talked about, we had a whole episode that was like initial impressions. It's kind of like a recap of the game, and then last week, you had Geekery, where we talked about it some more. We've been talking around spoilers the whole time. So, yep. if you want to know our overarching thoughts on the game... Uh, go back to those other episodes. This isn't going to be that. This is just going to be a couple of like the nitty gritty random spoiler stuff that we've been wanting to talk about and we haven't had a chance to. Yeah, and this is one of those things where I got spoiled early on and liked it. I'm really glad I knew what was going on, what they had uh, changed in this one before uh, really playing it. And I think that I got more out of the narrative than I would have otherwise. Yeah, there's one spoiler that I wish I had known ahead of time, and I think I said that on last week's episode, and right. it was the one that you and I talked about before you played the game. So let's yep. start there, because I actually think the game could be better if I had known it. Yep. And it's that there are these ghosts that they added to the game that don't exist in the original Final Fantasy VII, and it's what those ghosts are. So you don't find out for sure until you get towards like the very end of the game when you're getting into like the end game territory, like the final boss. Yep. But they are essentially um, in charge of keeping the narrative the same as it was in Final Fantasy VII. So they're yes. kind of like in charge of fate as if everything that was going to happen to these characters has already been like preordained. And anytime the characters try to deviate from that canon storyline, these ghosts show up and try to force them back into it. And they do a really good job of forcing themselves into that situation and moving the characters like physically moving the characters sometimes uh, into a different location so that they follow that canon narrative and I was thinking as I watched this because I like I said I went in knowing what these were and you and I had talked about that and so I saw this stuff and I was like oh I see how they're playing into this like being different like this being a different world with them pushing them around around and I was like I see how this could work now where I would have been I would have obviously been confused because that's what they wanted when you see this stuff but it I don't think that the entire story would have gelled with me as much being able to piece everything together as I went like I think that uh I think they would have done better to explain it a little sooner than they did yeah I agree because they kept showing up and I didn't know what the deal was but it wasn't in like a hmm i'm intrigued i need to know what this is it was just kind of like frustration like i feel like i'm missing something here yeah um and i th that's why i told you when you were like oh yeah i'm not worried about spoilers and we talked about it because i felt like it would make your experience better to just know it up front and it, it, there's a bunch of things in here where like they deviate from what happened in the first game right and one of the obvious ones is like Barrett basically gets killed and then the yeah. ghosts just revive him. So like he gets shot or stabbed. Wait, which one is it? He gets stabbed. He right? gets stabbed, right? Yep. Um, and the ghosts just like revive him back up and he's fine. And it's one of those things where um they also kill off Wedge late in the game because Wedge doesn't die on the pillar in Sector 7 the way that he does in the original game. He survives and then he's around for other parts like later in Midgar. And so kind of as you're getting near the end, there's a part where he's up like 
uh, on a very high level of a skyscraper and the ghosts just throw him off like with no warning just because it's like oh you're supposed to be dead but you're still alive let's get rid of you and after but afterward at the near the very end isn't he there later or did i thought that he was there after that too was that the very end did he no, not that was get... that was biggs so biggs oh, okay. is still alive, yeah yeah but wedge yeah, died biggs biggs yeah. was alive in the orphanage at the end which yep. uh which is one thing that I was like, I went back there. So talking about Biggs and the backstories with all of these, like they fleshed out all of these characters, right? And so they obviously didn't have any of this in the original. And so they say that he's good with the these orphans and that, that you, you find out that it's Biggs. I kept trying to go back to that orphanage then in subsequent areas, and I could never get them to talk about him. Like Biggs told me to go, as he was dying, quote unquote, to go to the orphanage and let them know there's this orphanage, da da da. And I went there and it was never addressed. Like he, yeah, like Cloud, Cloud and Aerith never said anything. I was like, oh, that's a like he told me to, so I made sure to do it. Like I thought there would be a, a different cutscene where they talked about what a great guy he was or something, and it did not happen. And I was really sad about that. <laughs> well, they also flesh out like the characterization of them too, just by adding more scenes for Wedge and Jesse and Biggs. Mm-hmm. But like the biggest section they add where you get to learn about these people as characters is going to Jesse's house. And yeah. I thought that that was one of like some of the additions I felt like they they added to the game in length but not necessarily made it more interesting even if they were fleshing out the world. This is one that worked really really well for me even though it was completely new fabricated from like whole cloth, right? Because yep. We had never seen what a Midgar suburb looks like. And you go to Jesse's house and you get to actually experience the suburbs and see what like a lot of the people there live like. You know, it's not the yep. the super high upper class and it's not the slums. It's like everybody else. Here's how everybody else is living. And so like you go to her house and her mom makes pizza and Cloud kind of sneaks around on the back, but you're listening to these just normal conversations between Jesse's mom and Jesse and Biggs and Wedge. And um it gives you this like little slice of life that we never really had of Midgar before. And that you don't really get uh and you don't really get an idea of that in other JRPGs either. That you don't really f- get a feel, most of them at least. There are some that are kind of like the Tales games that have a lot of asides that you can go into. But most JRPGs don't sit down and have that in-depth of a... Of a, a I guess slice of life is the best way to put it. It's just this slice of their life that you see them as people going in and being just really happy that somebody's mom's making you pizza when it's not just a complete joke, you know? Yeah. Well, and the other thing that's kind of interesting around that section is that like the Midgar and the suburbs and Jesse's house and that whole part worked for me. But right around the same time, they add a completely new character that I felt like just didn't need to be in the game when you run into Roche. Yes, he is a soldier who, a crazy soldier who you run into as you're riding the motorcycles into the suburbs. And I do not understand why he's there. He is in that one section of the game and is never brought back again. Yeah. And I wonder if part of it is to show you like an actual soldier since cloud isn't truly a soldier but the player doesn't know that yet right um 
but even that, even as I'm saying it, I feel like that's a weak argument for how much they added him in. Like, I don't think he needed to be in the game either. Like, it, that's a weird addition. Yeah, they they have him come in and save them from the Shinra folks when they're stealing uh, the explosive. But when, like, that's all he does. Like, he is there as a deus ex machina that no one knows about or cares about. Um, yeah, it's weird that he yeah. is is there well and so some of them are like fabrications from nothing that existed before and there are other things that they just changed but you can mm-hmm. see where they're drawing from and like one of the examples of this that i noticed the most was climbing to the upper plate after mm-hmm. the sector seven plate drops because in the the original it's just this kind of annoying timing mini game where you're like climbing up like a concrete wall and yep. this was an entire chapter of like climbing up the ruins of sector seven and getting up to the midgar building and i thought it was so much better than the original oh yeah it absolutely was you see these uh like the buildings that are ruined and you keep seeing this beautiful like vista off in the in the distance in the background and it's it's really counter like the counterpoint of looking down a little bit and it's just rubble and and destruction but there's a beautiful sky and you can see finally where the sky is and then the other plates above you like they did a great job here of making that sense of scale appropriate as well as just awe like this is what they're they're seeing it's like wow this is beautiful and really disgusting like (laughs) this is disturbing yeah, but it, it was, like you said, it was really well done, and it was a good addition or expansion, however you want to look at it. There's also the part where they're going into, I think it's Reactor 5, wherever they're heading toward uh, the second reactor that they're going into, and they have to climb up. Uh, they keep having all of the problems, and I think they're on Plan F at this point, uh, where they're, and they basically started naming them after the sectors that they would have, sections that they would have to go in, uh, go back through to get to the reactor, and... And that part's entirely different. And you get to see a lot of how the world is built at that point. I loved this section because you get to see uh, Barrett, Tifa, and and Cloud talking about like these sun lamps. Like they never address this or anything, but there are these giant of uh, the original. But there are like these giant lamps that basically simulate sunlight for the people down below, and they're having to shut it off in order to get to the reactor and make the power move around and it's like they're having these kind of ethical discussions on well i mean we're blowing this up anyway but this feels bad about like turning out the sun on these people like it was a really really well done section i thought in terms of uh, world building yeah i like that part a lot too for the world building some of them the the downside is that like some of those sections they add they have good world building but not great dungeon design and it makes you want not want to like backtrack through it again if you were going to do a replay Yeah, that's kind of, I don't, I want to replay it, but honestly, I don't think I will, mainly for that reason, is that the story was fantastic. The combat was fine. It was there. It wasn't, it was way better than it was in the demo once I got really used to it, but it was still uh, just one of those things where I never really felt like fully invested, like I have to become the best at this I possibly can, but the story is what it was, but it was never the dungeon design or anything because it was solid. Solidly on rails. It was Final Fantasy 13 level corridor stuff, and I don't know if I want to go through that again. 
Yeah, it was a lot better than 13, but you can definitely see the influences of 13. Whereas oh, yeah. 13 has almost no branching pads or things that twist on themselves. This had a lot more where like it would open up and then it would kind of close back in. But right. you didn't feel like it was just a straight corridor like you did in 13. But you're right. Like they're definitely drawing on that kind of Final Fantasy where it's very directed. Yeah, it is. The only place, well, there are a few places where you move around. There are different hubs where you get the different side quests and things like that where you can move around. And it's pretty much like an open world area that you're in, an open zone. But then you have dungeons like the sewers that are just not fun to traverse around. Like the sewers were just, uh, especially the second time that you go back down in there, I did not like the sewer area at all because of both the linearity and the uh, just the design in general, the way that they were making things twist and turn back up on themselves. It was, they didn't do enough visual distinction in that area. I mean, they made everything else look very visually distinct, but I I don't get turned around in video games or real life very often at all and i couldn't figure out where in the world i was in those sewers yeah and like i didn't mind any of the level design on the first playthrough i'm really just talking about like it makes me not want to play through it again without having a oh, few yeah. years in between for me to like forget about it because the story was great like the gameplay was really good throughout the whole thing levels were fine it's just thinking about how big of a commitment it would be to replay it i'm like uh there's some of the level design in there that i would not want to redo yeah, I would not want to go through some of that again. Yeah. Well, and so not only are some of the things like expanded on or some of the things fully new, like we were talking about, but some of them are just, you know, expanded on kind of like we were saying with climbing up uh, the Sector 7 rubble and that kind of thing. And one of my favorite scenes of the entire game was the stair sequence. And did you go up the elevator or up the stairs when you got the option? S- so I went up the elevator this time based on what you said. I'm probably going to go back and play the stairs, play that chapter again just to experience the stairs uh, because I know that you said they were super funny as you went up at this time. But I actually took the elevator because when I was playing like right then, it um, it was uh, uh, I wasn't in the mood to manually climb up 59 staircases. <laughs> Well, and so in the original Final Fantasy VII, you have the option to take an elevator or take the stairs. And if you take the elevator, you get a couple fights where they like stop at certain levels and you just do a couple fights on your way up. And if you take the stairs, you get this like funny cutscene and you have to walk up a couple stairs, but it really just like cuts in between them. So it, it yeah. doesn't take you very long at all. It, it's kind of a little vignette. And in this, instead, they make you walk up all 59 flights of stairs. And as soon as I realized that they were doing that, I was just laughing the entire time because it basically gives you like 10 minutes maybe more of just cloud barrett and tifa talking to each other and just giving each other a hard time about it and as you go higher and higher up the stairs your characters get slower and slower because they're running out of energy Mm -hmm. and tifa's in the lead and cloud is kind of in second and barrett's bringing up the rear and it was I was just dying of laughter, and it was probably my favorite sequence of the entire game. That's why I want to go back and and experience it, because at the time, it would have been tedious for me. Like, as a a player, it would have been tedious because of where I was, like, mentally right then, because I've been playing for a while. Going back to it, it's going to be delightful. I'll be laughing the whole time, like you said. Like, I love the interaction between those those people. Yeah, it was really good. And... 
So another big thing to talk about is Sephiroth and the fact that right. he's here throughout like the whole game and he's in Cloud's head. You know, they end up touching on a lot of things from Cloud's past that don't happen until after Midgar in the original Final Fantasy VII, and they brought a right. lot of that forward. And I think it mostly worked for me. Did it work for you? Most of it did. The part that didn't actually work for me was at the end of the game. The uh, the part that they actually brought in Zack. When they start oh. doing uh, Zack uh, flashbacks, uh, it was very disconcerting because they did nothing to for new players. I haven't played this game in 23 years. I played this when it was new. And so I knew what was going on, but I they didn't give any kind of reference points. Like all of a sudden here's Zach and uh, he's fighting off all the the Shinra guys here and then in the next one he's like pulling Cloud through and toward Midgar again and without any kind of context, it was pretty jarring. Well, and that kind of gets us into the ending which is probably right. the last main thing to talk about so that kind of gets us into the ending then and one of the things with the ending is it goes kind of full-on kingdom hearts where it just <sighs> that you get to a point where if you play the original final fantasy 7 you get to kind of the end of the road out of midgar and you go okay how are they going to end this like i i don't know how they're going to wrap this game up. Right. And they add a completely new thing in there where Sephiroth shows up and Aerith and him have this conversation and you find out that you've been kind of like fighting against fate every time these ghosts show up. And then you go into like a portal that's not explained and then you end up fighting fate in this like, I don't even know. It's like an alternate reality fantasy realm um, fighting Sephiroth, but really you're fighting the fate that your characters are locked into, and you kill fate and the ghosts, which ultimately frees you up to kind of do whatever from that point forward. So I think that the goal from like the design perspective is that now the designers can make the next part of this game, and it doesn't have to be a remake. It, do, it right. can be the next thing it can be its own thing but within that whole sequence of like fighting sephiroth and um fighting fate and fighting like alternate versions of things you see all these flashbacks but you also see a bunch of flash forwards and that's where you were talking about the zack sequences in right. there with no context given um and I, I really think that they're just showing you like all of these alternate realities that have or could have happened already mm -hmm. and it's it's i don't know it it got very Nomura in, in this part, and it, it both worked and it didn't work for me because I like what they're doing. They were just uh, they they didn't they they actually Kingdom Hearts they Kingdom Hearts threed the end of this uh, in making it make less sense than it could have if they had handled it slightly differently. Yes, and uh, that's the only real issue I have with it. It's not what they're doing. It's not uh, what they're doing to the story at all. Because I like that. I'm excited to see what happens in this new narrative that they they do. But I don't like how they did it because there wasn't enough explanation, and that's a hallmark of what Namira does in uh, in the way he tells his narratives. Yeah, you can definitely see his influence here, and I think where I ended with it and. I didn't realize this until I had talked to you when I beat, like, beat the game and you asked me what I thought and I had to like talk it through. Right. Is that I am cautiously optimistic about the way this game ended. And it's really going to depend on what they do next. Because right. what could happen, I can see this going two ways. And there could be a million others. But really, in my mind, there's two ways that this could go. One is 
that now that they're free from the canon narrative, they can twist and turn and do new things with the story and the characters and the scenarios that we know and love and are expecting. Um, but they can get back to those core themes of Final Fantasy VII and attack them in new ways. And that's what I really want to happen. I want them to get back to those core ideas, those themes, the story, the structure, but feel free to twist it and turn it and do new things with it. The thing that yeah. I don't want to happen and that would retroactively make this game bad for me is if this becomes a game about fighting fate which uh that's such a bad trope to fall into like if it these is. ghosts keep showing up if sephiroth becomes like an arbiter of fate and oh we have to fight our fate to because destiny and all of those kind of fate destiny keywords um that's not what i want <laughs> the game to be about and i mean that's it doesn't it won't surprise me if they do that because it's what he has done with a lot of kingdom hearts and I don't want it to be that either because I want it to get back to the uh, like eco-terrorism. I want it to get back to them destroying the planet and what Genova is and dealing with all of that a lot more than this uh, the Harbinger of Fate or what was it Whisper Harbinger that they uh, yeah, that they called them Big Boss um because the ghosts were called whispers uh and then there was like the Whisper Harbinger and things like that and I like I liked it. It's just I hope that's not the main focus at this point. Um, so I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about it as well. The main thing I don't want them to do is I don't want them to actually label part two of this Final Fantasy 16. Like uh, I can I don't think they would do totally that. see them doing it. No, I think it's gonna be Final Fantasy 7, but it's not gonna be remake part two. It's gonna be Final Fantasy 7 with a different subtitle because in my mind. This is probably actually a sequel to the original Final Fantasy VII because, yeah. like, the original one is what locked in that narrative and that canon and that fate. Um, because they have parts where, like, Aerith, she knows more than she's letting on, she and does. you can tell. Yep. And same thing with Red. Like, once Red joins the party, he's like, oh, that's what would happen if we win. And it's like, yep. how does he know that? And it's a flash forward to the last cutscene of the original game. Uh huh. So. I think that this is actually not an alternate reality so much as it's a sequel that happens in an alternate reality like after the other ones. So it retroactively could impact the original game or the the original game could impact this one. I wouldn't be surprised if they took that Zack scene that we saw and they like crammed a couple alternate realities together and brought Zack into this reality alive. I that would not surprise me at all. I'm expecting it. I'm fully expecting the next one to have Zack as a either a playable character or at least as a major NPC. Well, and you can tell that it's not the same reality because oh, I'm going to forget the name of it, but that dog that they always have to follow the nose. And it's like that that PR dog for the Shinra army. You know what I'm oh, talking about, um, right? Um, um, Stamp. Yes, Stamp. Stamp throughout the whole game is one breed of dog, except in the cutscenes with Zack where they're showing that alternate reality. Yep, it's a different breed of dog. I was yep. I was wondering if I I like I saw that and it didn't click in that it was a different like reality like that but I was like he looks so different in that one that's weird why did why did Avalanche paint him so weird Yeah <laughs> like that's and, that's where my mind went like that that Avalanche was wrong when they were cuz Barrett had talked about him being uh that they felt bad for him being taken over and uh them them taking the image of something so sweet and perverting it uh that's kind of what I was uh, think it was like they made they made him his own because that's what he would look like normally but no you're you're right that's that makes more sense 
Yeah, so I think I think we're going to get some of that. Some colliding alternate realities and fighting against fate, which we've already defeated fate, so now they can do new things. Like I said, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, in my mind, in an ideal world, the second game, whatever it is, kicks off with like a full flashback sequence so we can see all of the stuff that like led Cloud up to here. Yep. And that would make sense because that's kind of where it happens in the original Final Fantasy VII is right after Midgar, where you learn about most of that. Yeah, you learn about a lot of it. That's actually just happened. Like, I started playing Final Fantasy VII Classic while I was playing the the remake because I wanted to kind of see how they lined up with them both, like, perfectly fresh in my mind. And I got through the 35 hours of the remake in an hour 45, I want to say, of uh, Final Fantasy VII. Like, That's it really is, quick. It is. It did not take me long to get through there. Now, part of it was with the uh, the like three x speed. So, I mean that that helps a lot uh, to speed things through Midgar. But I mean, going through doing everything, uh, seeing that initial part, it was like, man, this they added so much and they added so much more emotion to it that I'm excited to see what they're going to do with like that flashback uh, because it does happen like almost immediately after you get out of Midgar, uh, just very shortly after. So, I hope they do and i'm really i'm really cautiously optimistic about it being good because this game was 10 times better than i expected it to be like it was really good the demo was good the demo is i I don't want to say the demo is the worst part of the game because the train graveyard is the worst part of the game if they cut that part completely out the game would be exponentially better but other than that if you've played the demo then you have played probably the weakest part of the game uh and and even in terms of characterization and everything so uh, i was wrong about barrett too like i still hate him during the initial part but uh i actually turned out to like barrett uh as we move through the story because he became more of a person and yes more of a person and less yelly yeah it it the whole game gets better as it goes on, for sure. Yeah. So if y'all play the demo and you're like, oh, this is fine, I'll pick it up at some point, kind of like I was, uh, it's definitely worth picking up sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's it's a really good game. Um, that's probably it for the spoilery thoughts. So don't forget, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash geek to geekcast And we're part of a network. You can get podcasts, you can get streamers. We have a geekery blog, all of that and more at geek2geekmedia.com or go to geek2geekmedia.com slash subscribe to get it sent right to you. And with that, it's time for Weekly Geekery, where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. What have you been up to? Well, we started watching the Jurassic Park movies again because... Okay. Uh, so I haven't seen I hadn't seen Fallen Kingdom yet, the newest one that came out a couple of years ago. I hadn't seen yeah. it at all. So Jennifer's running this program at the library. She has uh, uh, some scholars from the university, uh, pop culture scholars going through different movies and basically having uh, pop culture uh, film lectures at the like doing them virtually on the library's uh, Facebook page and doing like live chat interactions with movies they've studied before. So it's like a history of the movie and then you're going in and looking at kind of its historical place and how it affected cinema and just all the stuff that goes into it that you would do when you normally uh, look at a movie that way. 
And last week's was Jurassic Park. So we sat down and we watched Jurassic Park on Wednesday night before the presentation on Thursday. And it was always one of those movies that as a kid I watched. Like at one point I had Jurassic Park memorized. Like I actually could recite as the movie went along every line that went with it. Like I loved Jurassic Park. And... So we watched it and we loved it. And so we fell, uh, felt like, you know, we need to watch the rest of these. Like we've never seen, we haven't seen these in a long time. You know, we've never seen Fallen Kingdom. Uh, so the next night I wanted to watch it. And that movie is bonkers. Like that movie went completely off the rails. Like I love Jurassic Park 3. Fallen Kingdom takes the kind of stuff that Jurassic Park 3 did and just puts it up to 11. And it's like Fast and the Furious, but with dinosaurs. It's it's like those things are doing things that dinosaurs can't do. It's it's just you've seen it, right? You 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 did see. It, I've you seen all of them. I don't remember the subtitles. Is Fallen Kingdom the first new one or the second no, new one? Uh, no, Jurassic World is the first new, and then Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is the second one. It's the okay, one where yes, like the island is exploding. Yeah, that one jumps the shark for sure. It does. It completely jumps the shark, but it jumps the shark in a not in an I'm done with this franchise way. It's like, oh, this is what you're transfer transforming this franchise into kind of way. It's like if you watch all six of them and we still have uh, Jurassic Park three and regular Jurassic World to to go. Um, it's like if you watch these, you can see how they go from Steven Spielberg and where he's creating kind of this uh, animal movie animal attack movie uh, with elements of horror and sci-fi in it uh, without really action heroes in it like you've got these scientists and things like that like we watched some of the uh the back, back behind the scenes features on the dvd or on the blu-ray and uh, he was talking about that he was like you don't have an action hero we have these scientists who are in this world and then you slowly transition into you know jurassic world with uh owen with chris pratt being an action hero now and when you get to Fallen Kingdom, you see like the raptors and things like that doing superhero poses when they fall through a window or something. And it's like, this is where the movies are now. Like it is no longer the Jurassic Park movies. They are now straight up blockbusters. And, oh, yeah. Uh, the but next they know one what is going to be are. insane. Like, yeah, the next the one one's going to be nuts. I don't like what it's called Dominion and uh, Jennifer was telling me about this one like it's Jurassic World Dominion and spoilers for y'all who haven't seen it but it's not really you know spoilers if you just Jurassic Park's dinosaurs but they're loose in America now and it's like this one like it really does feel like when you watch Fast and the Furious you see the first one it's like ah fast cars doing cool things like this is great vin diesel <laughs> and then you watch fast six and seven and you're like oh you jumped the shark this is a good jump in the shark but this is where we're going now all right where they're not the same kind of movie at all but i love them like it is nutso and I think I've only watched the first two Fast and Furious movies, and I feel like the more and more I hear as each new one comes out, the uh, I should go back and watch them because I've heard everybody say that. They turn into a completely different kind of movie. It is 100% different. Like, Jennifer was watching uh, Fast 7, and it's the, the one, it's the second newest one. Uh, Fast 8 was uh, Fate of the Furious was, was the newest one. Um well, of the main line, and uh, I think, I don't think F9's come out yet, but they have gone from being like 
drag racing car movies to where when Jennifer was watching Seven, it is a superhero movie where the superheroes are cars. It's like, that's how it's shot. That's the kind of stunts that they do. Like, you watch it like you watch a superhero movie. And yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's I should check that out. I love them. Like, they're ridiculous, and I realize what they are. But, like, just looking at them through that lens of how the series evolves, it's like, man, you can see them starting to do it in, like, Tokyo Drift. And then they're trying to figure out what they're doing in four, and it doesn't really work. Five, they tried to make it a heist movie and doesn't work. Six, they landed on it, and it's just gotten crazier and crazier since then. Kind of like Jurassic Park. I mean, really, it's like they see what they're trying to do with three. And it's like, I love it. And then Jurassic World came out. I was like, we're going to be action movies. Then they just go all in with uh, Fallen Kingdom. No, no. Uh, also, uh, The Last Emperor by John Scalzi. Have you read or listened to this one yet? It's the last yeah. of the interdependency. I couldn't remember if you said you had gotten to it or you had not. No, I watched or uh, not watched. I listened to it right away when it came okay. out. Cool, because I'm listening to it now. Like I remembered that it came out, and it got me off of my lazy butt, and ended up uh, going uh, around the block and walking like four miles just so that I could listen to it. Uh, that's what's going to be able to get me out of this kind of quarantine funk. That uh, I am going to be listening to it. It is uh, it's very very good, and I always forget how much I love these books until I start listening, and then I'm like, these are what Scalzi is writing, what Dune should have been, because the sequels to Dune uh, are, as much as I love them, are not very well written. But but this one is so good. I like that Scalzi series a lot. Yeah, it's probably my favorite series of his by now. I love the um, uh, Old Man's War series. Like, they're so good, but they don't hold a spike that hold a spike they don't hold a, a candle to uh the interdependency books is this the last one or are there gonna be a lot more because i can't see it wrapping up in three books uh i thought this was the last one but oh, i man. actually don't know maybe i have to go look yeah I'm, I'm actually not sure because if they wrap it up and, and actually finish out a narrative in this one i'm gonna be really shocked so i can't wait to get more than just a couple hours into it like i am now yeah, I think if they did another one, they'd probably have a time jump afterwards. Because okay. this one ends in a place where it it's not like a conclusion of everything, but it's a conclusion of these character stories that we've been following. So hmm. if they wanted to do a follow-up, it'd probably have to jump a generation or hundreds of years or something. That really surprises me because now I'm, now that makes me want to listen to it even more because there's an ending. Because I don't understand like like as a storyteller i don't understand how all this stuff is going to congeal that quickly so that's going to be neat that's going to be uh be good to hear yeah let me know what you think when you get to it well uh for me this week i have been playing off and on for the last like three weeks streets of rage four and we finally (laughs) beat it and it is so fun it's probably one of my favorite games of the year so far um it's not going to be my number one or it's not even going to make my number five by the end of the year but it's because it is a local couch co-op game that's fun that i can play with my kids and it's so good for that um it's great for what it is right like it's not gonna if if you don't want a local co-op beat-em-up this game is not for you but it's beat em up and it's like in that old style. It's not that far off from the other Straits of Rage games. Yeah. But there's a couple things in here that are really smart that like made me like it even more than most beat em ups. Because usually I, I play beat em up for like a couple levels, maybe finally get killed once and I'm like, okay, well, I had my fill. I'm done with this. Delete the game. Um, it's rare to have one where I actually play through the entire thing and I beat it. Yeah. And so 
this was one where it's on Game Pass, so it cost me zero dollars. So that's oh, part okay. of it. But then the other thing is there are there are two things in it that are super fun to play around with. One is juggling. The fact that you can actually like juggle characters in the air. And I mean that in the fighting game term, not like physically actually juggling somebody. Right. You're, um, you keep them up in the air by punching them and doing combos over and over again as though they are a juggling ball. Right. So it's it's about like area control and like keeping enough guys like in one area that you can kind of juggle them and like stun lock them a little bit without having somebody else sneak up on you. Um, And they keep throwing like new iterations of enemies and new new things that aren't completely out of left field, but definitely fit within the framework of the game. They keep showing up all the way through the end of the game. So there's always something slightly new or slightly different to keep you like interested while you're playing. And then the other thing that's really smart is that they have this like risk reward mechanic with your special moves. So X is like attack. um, But then if you use Y for a special move, it will deplete part of your health bar temporarily. And if you can attack other like guys before or bad guys before you get hit, you can regain the health that you've lost by spending on special moves. So it's one of those things where it's like your health is kind of gone, but you can get it back if you go in and you keep like fighting and you don't get hit, right? Like if you can keep a combo up, you will regain the health. But huh. if you if you use your special moves a bunch and then you get hit once, it's all gone forever unless you go pick up a healing item. So it's this really cool like risk reward that's like low key and it's not overemphasized. But once I realized what it was doing, it became a really fun mechanic. That sounds like a yeah. I like beat 'em ups are something that I honestly don't know if I've ever beaten a full one before. It's just you know it loses its appeal. Even as a kid, it's like uh, it's like well I'm done playing this we'll come back to it and beat each other up at some point or beat this stuff up later like i don't know if i've ever beaten one but that sounds like it's a pretty good mechanic to keep pushing through with yeah it is it so streets of rage 4 was like a ton of fun i played it i tried a little bit on my own but then my kids saw and they're like can we play and so i actually went out and bought an extra controller so the three of us could all play and that was a ton of fun and then my brother came over over the holiday weekend and the four of us played through the entire game start to finish and we beat it and that was amazing so again it it all comes down to that local co-op experience so that was super fun um we're also getting to the point here where we have a lot of geekery building up. So I think we're going to do a geekery episode next week because I have a lot of thoughts about <laughs> man eater, the shark open world RPG. Right. I won't get into them now, except to say that if you want a shark open world RPG, go get man eater because it's out. And I will talk about it more next week. Now, um, but, but like we will talk about it next week. And I'm curious about man eater because you had told me about this like a long time ago when it was announced and they put out the first uh, information about it. Like, I didn't realize that this had come out yet. Like, is this like a this week or last week release? Uh, or did I just completely in total? I thought it was coming out soon. Like, I I thought it was a summer game. Yeah, it came out like three days ago. Okay, no wonder. I just completely missed that it had hit its date then. Uh, yeah. Because this is one like I don't think I'm going to pay for. I don't want to pay full price for this game, but I 100% want to play this game. Yeah, so I'll save. I've Like I said, I've had a bunch of things building up, and I'm like right near the end of a few of them. So I think we'll just do a Geekery catch-up episode next week. But the one thing I want to mention before we jump off Geekery is... I got an Echo Bee or an Eco Bee. I actually don't know which one it is, but the smart thermostat. And so I've been playing with that a bunch over the last few days, and I already love it. That thing is so fun to mess around with. That's kind huh. of that's the extent of my thoughts. I like the smart thermostat that I got, and it's fun. 
And I've never known. Okay, so smart stuff. I I don't have a smart home. I really, honestly, have no desire for a smart home because most of the things on there don't fit the way my lifestyle works. It's like the, I haven't had the need for a lot of the the things that you can make smart. Uh, there are a few things I want to upgrade, but not like all like the entire house connected. Smart thermostats are one that I just do not get the appeal for. Like, I don't understand the need for them, you know? Like, I don't understand how it would make my life any better. Um, it can save you money, but also it can make you more comfortable. So there's a couple things going on. Um, one is that you can set schedules, which I know most like older thermostats you can do too, but it's a lot easier to jump into an app and like customize a, ske- a schedule for your right. house. Um, or if you're away or home or whatever, and you realize that like, oh, we're away, but it's scheduled to be like a home day. You can just like go into your app when you're, you know, across the country and be like, oh, flip it into away mode and save some money on your heating or your cooling mm. or whatever. So that's some of the basic stuff that's been in like all smart thermostats for a while. The thing that's really cool about the Ecobee, Ecobee, I'm going to say Ecobee because that's where my natural tendency is going. Um, the thing I like about the Ecobee is that it has sensors and you can buy more sensors and put them around your house. So the one thing that I didn't realize how restraining it is until I had this new paradigm to think about is that normally your thermostat is only measuring the temperature in the room that it's in. Right. And it's like, well, duh, that's how thermostats work. But think about if you could now measure everywhere that you put a sensor in the house so you can strategically place them in different areas of your house and then you can flip it into a mode that says only care about the rooms where somebody's been recently and then if you are all on the main level of your house so this happened over the weekend my whole family was either on the main level of the house or like downstairs in the basement nobody was upstairs and so the thermostat doesn't have to get upstairs to a cool enough temperature for people to be comfortable because there's nobody on that whole level of the house and Mm. the opposite happens at night right when you're sleeping you only care about the temperature in your rooms you don't care about the temperature on the main level or your basement or whatever so it knowing like who's not it doesn't know who's active but it knows where people have been active in the house lately and then it has temperature measurements from all of those and it will average those to tell you like the average temperature in your house so it's not just like the one room where your thermostat is locked in place Hmm. you sound very unconvinced but i I love it like after i i was hesitant but i was interested and now after having one for a single weekend i'm like Yes, this is amazing. I'm going to buy more sensors because this is going to be fantastic. Well, I'm also the kind of person like I am absolutely in no way the target demographic for this because I know a lot of people do their best. You included, it seems, to uh, make sure that you don't spend an absurd amount of money on heating and cooling your house. And part of that comes from the location that you're at, because that is a major thing where uh, where you live in terms of uh, winterizing your house and and taking prep for the weather. Uh, Jennifer and I are the kinds of people who, instead of worrying about how much our utility bills are, we are, the way that we put it are is, I'm never going to be uncomfortable in my own house, and I don't care how much it costs to make it that way. And so we will run the air conditioner as at full blast or the heat on in the coldest areas and, and not do it because we cannot stand being uncomfortable in our own home even a little bit. And so we just figure out where that is like in our house and we just keep it there. Like that is how our house is going to be 24 hours a day unless we're on vacation. So... I basically do that same thing too. Like I don't, 
really worry because like I can afford it. I can heat my house or cool my house. Right. I know it's that's a luxury. About, that really is a, a luxury. It, is. it absolutely is. But it, it, I mean, it'll save money. That's good, right? And it's better for the environment. That's good too. Um, and those things are important to some people. And while I think they're cool, it's not the main reason I did it. It was more for all of the other features. And the main thing already that I noticed is that because it only cares about the rooms that you're in, my like my wife and I are sleeping better now because uh. it is keeping our bedroom at the temperature that we are the most comfortable at when we are in the bedroom asleep for the night. And then when you get up and move around the house and start being active for the day, then it cares about the rest of the house. So it's one of those things where it is about comfort and it's about actually making ourselves more comfortable than we would be without it. I could see that. I could see it putting it that way. But what about, and this is this is where my mind goes immediately, what about when you go into those areas that hasn't been thinking about having to deal with the discomfort of it being too hot there while it cools down? Uh, it's fine. I don't know. It's it's smart. It It's not like an instant on-off thing. Like, it really pays attention to, has anybody been there in the last, like, hour-ish? Right. You know, or is it like a high-activity area of your house? Like, it learns as it goes. So there's a lot of things that I haven't even tapped into yet because I've only had it for a few days. Right. But, yeah, I already like it. And then the other thing is that I'm not going to get in depth here, but like you can set up all these different comfort settings and schedule them for different times of day. And you can say that when it's on this comfort setting, only pay attention to these few sensors that I care about. Uh, so okay. you can mix and match between like all of these in-depth settings on a comfort setting and then schedule that comfort setting for different times of day. And between all of that, you can basically customize like everything about it. It's super cool. That That does sound pretty neat. Yeah, so it's fun. Yeah, yeah, that is absolutely fun for you. Like, yeah. getting this set up and put together, yeah, I can totally see you just sitting there, like, fiddling with it and just being being just, just happy as you can be. Well, and any time that I get to do electrical work with my brother or my dad, that's always a happy day for me, too. So uh, my brother came over and we had to do a little bit of electric work to make it happen, and so that was fun. It's just a good weekend project. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so that's probably it for this week. Uh, we will do just a Geekery catch-up episode next week because we have a bunch that's building up that I want to talk about, like sharks and, you know, poison <laughs> tails and bioelectric fins and stuff. Um, but with that being said, you guys can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have great discussions on Slack, Discord, and Reddit. You can go to geek2geekmedia.com for invite links. And while you're there, make sure you check out all the other content on the network. I blog at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at grnmushroom. That's green mushroom without the E's on Twitter. I'm also on the Disney Forever podcast, where we watch and react to a different Disney movie every week. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beej. That's Beej with two E's. And you can listen to me even more on the Dragon Quest FM podcast, talking about the Dragon Quest RPGs. We've been Void and Beach with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Da 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 da